Thanks for listening to the Rivers Podcast. We hope that as you listen, God speaks. For more information about the river, visit us online at theriver.info. All right, so we're going to recap. If you brought your Bible with you today, we're in the 20th chapter of the Gospel of John. Today, we're going to be cruising through, picking up at the 21st verse. And just as a recap from where we talked about uh, last week, we were talking about Jesus gives this invitation of peace. And there's more within the kingdom of heaven, but that this this is really the thrust of Jesus' ministry was a ministry of peace. And, and we find ourselves in a world, in a climate, in a time when peace is a very rare commodity, right? And so we talked about the deeper that we draw into Jesus, the more we experience that peace. And, and we're people who need peace. Verse 20 said, after this, he showed them his hands and his side and the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. And so if you were tracking, the resurrection happened. They went, went to the tomb, saw the grave clothes, still didn't get it. The boys head back. They're in the upper room with the other disciples. Mary Magdalene stays behind. Jesus appears to her. She comes back, tells the guys about it. Then Jesus appears to the guys. They don't recognize him right away. He offers this extension of peace. And then what the text says is, after he said this, after he offered him the peace, he showed them his hands and his side where he had been pierced and the disciples were overjoyed. And what I love is John continues to do this. The Bible does it all through. And so the best way to interpret scripture is with scripture. Uh, But there's all these hyperlinks back. And so we can't mistake the hyperlink back to John 16, 20, when Jesus said, very truly, I'll tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. He's talking about his death. He's talking about this. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. He's, that was his prophecy of this very moment. And John's explaining this, that they didn't get it, right? And so, again, Jesus says to him, peace be with you. And so, after he shows them the things, then they're overjoyed, right? And what I love about this is Jesus reiterates what he brought. He, he realizes that they didn't grasp what it was that he was saying, And he didn't blow right past it. Instead, he met them where they were at and showed them. He's like, oh yeah, I want you guys to have peace. But I can tell that your confusion and your dysplasia and and where you're at right now, you're not able to receive this gift. So here, look at my hands and look at my side, right? So he met them where they were at, realized that they couldn't take what it was. And then once he met them where he were at, then he brought them to where he's going. Again, I say to you, peace be with you. And what I love about that, it's such a good word that God doesn't expect us to just cruise past things, right? Like he meets us where we're at. He understood that they still couldn't grasp what it was that he was offering. He wasn't offended them. He didn't ask them if they deserved it. He didn't ask them if they earned it. He didn't ask them any of these kinds of practices. Instead, what he sees is he sees, I'm trying to give this gift and they're not ready to receive it. So instead, let me attune to them where they're at. And it's a a wonderful principle how he brings this clarity. See, look, feel, understand. He doesn't shame them. 
He doesn't say, you fools, come on, it's me. He doesn't go through all of this kind of stuff that I think oftentimes is a portrayal of God that we put on him, that he expects us to kind of have it all together and to kind of have it all figured out. But we can see clearly from the text that he's kind in it and that he's not gonna cruise past and allow them to leave that behind. He brings clarity. He doesn't shame them. Instead, he realizes that they can't go from where he wants to until first they acknowledge where they're at. And this is a spiritual principle called attunement. And I think that it's really a basis of empathy and a basis of transformation. And it's something that we should definitely all be practicing in our own spiritual practices, in our interactions with others. And essentially what it is, is when one person is vibrating at a high frequency, what we do is, is we, we join them at that high frequency, right? And then we use our own spiritual strength to then lower them down, to calm them down. And oftentimes we get frustrated when we don't do this, right? Because we want to talk them down off the ledge. Like we want to stay within the comfort and the confines of in the room and talk them off the ledge. And I'm here to tell you that what we need to do is join them on the ledge, right? That's the spiritual principle of attunement. That's what Jesus does right here. He sees that they can't possibly grasp where he is and they're vibrating at a high frequency. They can't receive the gift of peace. So he meets them where they're at shows them what it is that they need to know, and then brings them down, and then reiterates, peace. Again, I say, peace be with you. He takes into account who people are and where they're at, and that changes how he meets them and what he's doing. You know, I love the principle in uh, my preaching class through my pastoral commissioning. Uh, one of the one of the tenets of the, the preaching course was that there's a paradigm and it's, are you teaching people the Bible or are you teaching the Bible to people? Because it's two different things. In order to teach the Bible to people, all you got to do is know more about the Bible and then just overwhelm them with facts. And there's a lot of preaching in that style. A lot of people really like that expository kind of preaching where it's just, you know, you, you bring in all of the facts around it and you just pretty much show people, you flex on them. Like, I know more about this than you and my job is to then show you the facts. But if, if your goal is to teach people the Bible and not teach the Bible to people, but if you wanna teach people the Bible, then you need to know how people learn and you need to know how much they can absorb and how much they can't and what's the relatability, and what's the application. It's a very different strategy to teach people the Bible than it is to teach the Bible to people. But I'm here to tell you, one of them bears much fruit, and one of them, not as much. And so, Jesus does this, and what I love is it's this spiritual principle that's worth mentioning. My dad said it to me one time and couldn't have offended me more. Uh, he said, God won't let you fail the test. You'll retake it. <laughs> you will get a passing grade, you know? And so that if you're feeling like you're bumping your head against the brick wall, maybe change the answer a little, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, because God loves you so much. He, he wants you to gain the information from the test. You'll get that. If not, we'll keep going over it, you know? And the, the better part too is, uh, and what's unfortunate is not only will he not let you fail the test, he also won't let you skip a grade, and so that's good news and bad news, right? Because there is maturation that happens in the journey of going through the grades that God's interested in happening with us. And we see that from the text here. So again, Jesus says, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. 
Jesus' whole ministry, he's been talking about the Father and I are one. I only do what the Father is doing, what I see the Father is doing. And Jesus now is equating this uh, equality with the followers. He's saying, as God sent me, I'm sending you. So in his resurrection, there's a commissioning. There's a being sent. The Christian journey is not a spectator sport. You've heard the football analogy, right? Like it's the Christianity is a lot like a football game and that there are 100,000 spectators watching a couple dozen people who could really use a break and the spectators all know what the players should be doing differently. Like, isn't that how it goes too? I love boxing. And, you know, it's really easy, especially uh, novice boxers will, will watch professionals and they'll say, oh, man, that idiot. He shouldn't have thrown that combo. Oh, he should have covered underneath that. You know who doesn't rip apart the work that, that the professionals are doing, even in the mistakes? Actual boxers. <laughs> like, they know what it's like to play the game. Right? And so it's like there's two kinds of people. There's judges and there's doers. And the doers are too busy to judge and the judges are too busy to do. You know I mean? and like, but that's what Christianity is. It's not a spectator sport. We see it in his resurrection that Jesus says there's this commissioning that as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. And that's the best news. Everybody gets to play. Everybody gets to play. That's such a cool thing. It's not just us. It's not just that. Everybody gets to play. Everybody gets commissioned. Everybody gets sent as Jesus was sent. And with that, verse 22, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. And I think that it's worth mentioning. <laughs> I shouldn't have outed myself that the whole teaching people the Bible or teaching the Bible to people, because all of these ones right here falls in this camp. But I think that it's worth mentioning that the same word that's used here in breathed was back in Genesis where God breathed life into Adam. That Jesus breathed life into these disciples. That Jesus breathes life into us for our commissioning. So not, not only does everybody get to play, but everybody gets the power with which to play. Everybody gets a gift to play with. Not to, like, not to play with the gift, but the gift to actually use. Romans 12 talks about it. 1 Corinthians 12 talks about it. That we're all given gifts, and every one of us, those gifts are to use for that commission that God has sent us on. It's a wonderful thing. He gives them the gift of peace amidst chaos and confusion and grief. He gives them a commission and a calling. He gives them the power and the gifting and the only way to live that out. And all of history from that day to this was forever changed. From that moment in that room, when he breathed that life and gave them commission, our lives were radically changed because of that moment. And it's easy to look at that and say, well, that was them. But we can substitute us in the same way. He gives us the gift of peace amidst the chaos and confusion and grief. He gives us a commissioning and a calling. He gives us the power and the gifting, the only way to live that out. And all of history from this day to the last will be radically transformed because of what he gives us and what we get to do in that. What a cool thing, right? That it's not distant. It's unique and it's personal. Verse 23, if you forgive anyone's sins, 
their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. And it's just such a radical statement to me. It actually makes a lot of people really uncomfortable like that that kind of power is handed out by Jesus. So much so that a lot of the commentaries through history have just avoided that on the micro level and just pulled back to the macro level and said, well, really what he's talking about is that we all get to go around and we get to declare the gospel and we get to share the gospel with people. And if they accept that, well, then their sins are forgiven and they get into heaven. And if they reject that, well, then their sins are not and they don't. And that's a macro level. And I think that certainly there's an element of truth in that and certainly an element of safety. Uh, But John, who lived and traveled and laughed and mourned with Jesus... This was paramount importance to what the commissioning and the empowerment of Jesus and the life of the Holy Spirit was for. There are so many other ways to say that macro level thing. And so it's not an exhaustive list of what the gift of the Holy Spirit is for, what our commissioning as believers is for, but it certainly is the primary And it's radical because this is the very same ministry that caught Jesus so much flack in Luke 7. Who is this man that offers forgiveness of sins? And then you turn around in in, uh, chapter 8, and and, uh, Jesus went around proclaiming the kingdom of God. That there's something in that, that the forgiveness of sins and proclaiming the kingdom of God kind of go hand in hand. But the the very same thing that that Jesus got flack for, he's like, no, 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 y'all go do that too. Right? Or in Mark 2, the same thing. The Pharisees say, who is this man that he thinks that he offers forgiveness of sins? That belongs to God alone. But what we see is that, is that God's just handing off keys to the kingdom. Handing off the power. Handing off the commissioning. Giving all of us a role and a place to play. And the good news is, we don't create the work. We just pick up the work, Right? Jesus began the work. We just pick up where he left off. We just pick up our our piece. We don't have to create a new sport. We just play the same sport. But what I want to talk about for a minute is what if it's not just at the meta arc? Which is certainly true, but what if it is at the what if it is at kind of more of a micro level? What if it means what it says? What if it means what it said in Matthew? where he said, I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. What if he's literally saying to you, Bill, that you have the power to bind and loose, to forgive or call due? That you, Kim, you actually have the Holy Spirit power and calling on your life in this moment to bring forth radical positioning and transformation in somebody else. That out of confusion, you can call clarity. That out of disorientation, you can call reorientation. That out of pain, you can bring peace. Out of rejection, you can bring inclusion. Out of discrimination, you can bring equality. Out of death, you can bring life. That you possess that power, and not only that power, but that calling. And you can use that power in that calling as much as you can. That you have the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. Not a different one. You have a full-grown Holy Spirit living in you that you can carry out the same work of ministry. 
You have the power of life in your tongue. The tongue has the power of life and death that your words can speak life into people. And Jesus is saying, if you do it, it happens. You don't know the power that you have. And that is why all of creation is groaning for the children of God to be revealed. That all of creation is saying, when are they going to wake up and realize the power that they have? It means that you are the intermediary. This is radical in Jesus' time because the priests were the one who offered sacrifice for the forgiveness of sins. The priests stood as intermediaries between God and fallen mankind. And what Jesus said is, y'all do that. That we stand as intermediaries. That we offer that. That we are to dispense these gifts and this grace between fallen mankind and a holy God. To say your sins are forgiven. What a wonderful weight. What a yoke that we can lift off of people. To say I hold nothing against you. God hold nothing against you. It means that we are all pathways to Jesus. It means that the more we draw into Jesus, the more we draw into other people. And it means the more that we draw into other people, the more we draw into Jesus. What Jesus said was, I came to seek and save that which was lost. That's our, that's our mission. And not only is it our mission to seek it, but to save it, and we've been given the power to offer forgiveness. How many people do y'all deal with on a regular basis that are laden and weighed down with guilt and shame? And most of us, because we're asleep most of the time, just be like, man, that's rough. When Jesus is saying, no, you have the power to offer forgiveness. And whatever you do that with here, I'll take it as done. Put my stamp on it, and when that paper comes across my desk, I'll see my own signature, because that's the power that we were given. We have so much power for good and right, and we're not even tapping into it, because right now, most of us are viewing the world, or the church, through the lens of the world, instead of viewing the world through the kingdom of God. I want to remind us the world is temporary. It is going to be burned up in fire and judgment. But the church, the body of Christ is eternal. The bride is eternal. We don't view temporary things. We don't view eternal things through the lens of temporary things. We view temporary things through the lens of eternal things. The enemy is having a field day right now because we're so easily distracted by the things that are dividing us. We're not even awake to the power that we possess in the calling on our lives. We're getting caught in the minutia and there's plenty of it. And I'm not saying that it's small stuff. I understand. I just want to be a voice that reminds us, no, 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 no. We have great power. We've been given a great calling. Let us not waste a single breath in lesser matters. I want to share with you, I think it's 20, it's the end of Ephesians, the first chapter, 
through the message translation. Message paraphrase. It's not a translation. Let's get that right. Mark threw me a thumbs up. I know I'm safe. All this energy issues from Christ. God raised him from death and set him on a throne in deep heaven in charge of running the universe. Everything from galaxies to government. No name and no power exempt from his rule. And not just for the time being, forever. He's in charge of it all. Has the final word on everything. At the center of all of this, Christ rules the church. The church, you see, is not peripheral to the world. The world is peripheral to the church. The church is Christ's body in which he speaks and acts, by which he fills everything with his presence. That's y'all. That's us, collectively, have been given tremendous power. And with great power comes great responsibility. I believe it's time that we rise up and actually use that power for what it's intended for and not remain sterile on the sidelines wondering why the world is flashing by like it is. And I believe... The way we do it is one-on-one, life-on-life. I believe that we bring healing, we bring restoration, and we bring reconciliation, and we bring forgiveness, and we bring good news that God is crazy about you. He paid all the costs. He, He covered all the things that you can't leave that guilt and shame aside. He's calling you even now. So I want to share with you these words of Henry Nouwen because it's very easy to get distracted in all of it. And I'm telling you, there's a lot. I know. I'm alive too. What he says is this. Did I offer peace today? Did I bring a smile to someone's face today? Did I say words of healing? Did I let go of my anger and resentment? Did I forgive? Did I love? These are the real questions. 